I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives. But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. Today, we welcome Nicole Schlender to Rising. Nicole is VP Integrated Marketing at financial services giant Thrivent. Nicole is one of the best full funnel marketers I know, with breadth and depth across topics, including sales enablement, product marketing, paid media, acquisition, and content, and every channel from phone to SMS, text, to web and social. I know this because I've been working with Nicole for over two years with Thrivent as a client. But what I didn't know until she told me was her background in various roles, not just in marketing, but in HR, as a contractor teaching human intelligence collection for the military, and as an Arabic linguist and interrogator in the U.S. Army. And we've really never talked about career choices, how we make them, how she's made hers, and what her advice is for the rest of us. So welcome, Nicole. Thanks for coming on Rising. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Matt. So I have to ask, was uh, the character in Zero Dark Thirty modeled after you? No, no. That character was modeled after a lot of people um, and was actually pretty good. But it was a lot of people rolled into one beautiful package. <laughs> so maybe, Nicole, a good place to start would be, maybe you tell us your your kind of career trajectory. Like, how did you start out? What led to one thing? And we'll start to ask questions, but we'd love to hear the arc of your career. Sure. Well, I, well, I would start actually with where I'm at now, because often when I look around, I see people that have been working in our category or in marketing twice as long as I have when I look at my peers. Um, and it can be both really intimidating and also a source of pride. Like, yeah, I'm here. I got a seat at the table, you know? Um, but one of the things that I've spent a lot of time thinking about lately is, you know, how, how did I get here? I think you get to these inflection points in your life and you're like, well, what's next? And I've just hit, you know, I'm just... I'm at the point now where I have to raise my glasses to look at things up close. I'm that age, so I won't say my age, but it's caused me to just think about, you know, how did I get here? So it's been a bit of a circuitous route. Um, like you said, I started in the military. I was one of those people that thought that when you graduated high school, you would know exactly what you wanted to do with your life. You'd get some great epiphany. And shockingly, that that doesn't happen to everyone. I think it happens for some people, and they can specialize right away and really dig into their career. It did not happen for me. So I joined the military. Um, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. There's not a high military recruiting uh, group out of there, but you know, maybe the Coast Guard. But um, it just it called to me. It felt like something I wanted to do. So this is in the late '90s. Um, And they said, you can pick any job you want. And I was like, oh, I want to be an interrogator, mostly just because sounds really cool, right? Like, who doesn't want to be an interrogator in the army? I was 18. Um, And as part of that, you get a foreign language. They send you to a language school. And I was really hoping for like Japanese or, you know, Thai, something super fun and exotic. And I get there and they're like, you're going to learn Arabic. I'm like, oh. They chose for you. They do based on your aptitude for learning a language. And apparently I had a high aptitude, which was a very misleading test because I'm not very good at language acquisition. I have to work really hard at it. Um, But fun story, I met my husband in our Arabic class. And at that time, he's just a cute guy that I didn't want to, I wanted to do well so they wouldn't kick me out of class so I could keep hanging out with him. Um, 
And so I learned Arabic. And again, this is the late nineties. And so I'm like, why Arabic? It seems so weird, you know? And then right when I was getting ready to graduate Arabic school, the USS Cole was bombed in Yemen and 17 soldiers died. And all of a sudden, like everything came into sharp focus. Like I just made this choice to join the military, learn Arabic and, you know, stuff's getting real. And um, so it was, you know, this very intense experience and everybody knows what happened in yeah September of 2001. Um, and so we, you know, I had these five years on active duty that were both amazing and really form like formative for me becoming an adult. Um, and also this, you know, there's things that you carry forward in your life. And there's also things you leave behind. So um, I spent five years learning, you know, being an interrogator, doing that work. And I got out and again, was like, well, I don't know what to do with my life. And you, what do you do? You call your friends, you find out what they're doing. You, you activate your network. It's the same advice you give people now. And I learned that the, the interrogation school couldn't keep enough instructors here stateside to teach interrogation because we were active in Iraq and Afghanistan and everywhere else. So they were hiring contractors to come and teach interrogation. And so I went to Arizona. I taught interrogation for a couple of years. Um, it was super fun. You know, it was kind of like being in the army, but you got paid a lot more than when you're in the army. <laughs> they don't pay you very much. Um, and then when my husband got out of the military, he's so my boyfriend at the time, and eventually that cute guy in my Arabic class became my husband um, five years later. He was like, I'm, I'm all done living in the desert. I don't want to live in Arizona anymore, which is very reasonable. He just spent two years in Iraq. So we moved to Minnesota. And again, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? You activate your network, you go out, you start talking to people. And somebody said, have you ever thought about HR? And I was like, well, I'm an interrogator. I don't, I don't know how that translates, but it does. Right. And so I remember in the interview, this is at the city of Minneapolis, they were interviewing me for an HR job. And they said, what do these two things have to do with one another interrogation and HR? And it's actually pretty simple. It, both of them are getting people to do what you need them to do. And if you're mm -hmm. doing it right, it's in their best interest, right? It, uh. You know, that when you're doing it right, it is. It's not always done right. And I think the same for marketing, right? So you can kind of see how this progresses into marketing. Marketing is getting people to do what you want or need them to do. And again, I think there's a lot of power in marketing. There's a lot of power in persuasion. If you're doing it right, then, uh, you know, it's in their best interest as well. So I spent a few years doing HR consulting, doing strategy development, organizational design, organizational efficiency, and I loved it. But I knew if I wanted to advance my career, I, I needed to understand, you know, the quote unquote business more. And so I went back to school and I got my MBA, which the GI Bill is a great thing. It helped me pay for the MBA, my MBA at the Carlson School um, here in Minnesota. And when I was graduating and they're doing the big recruiting parade where everybody comes in and they meet with you and you try and impress them and they try and impress you. And it's like speed dating. If you've ever done, it's like 30 yeah. minutes, like with each, um, Thrivent recruited me and they just had a really compelling story about, um, you know, not being public. So they had, you know, this different way of evaluating what work got done and what work didn't get done and the value back to the, 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 at the time we call membership. Right now you call it client centricity, but they were, they were really thinking about that. And so it was really compelling. Um, and the mentorship and the sponsorship was super strong. So join Thrivent. Um, and if you ever have a chance, this would be if anyone, if you ever have a chance to 
um, become a chief of staff for somebody that's on the ELT, it's a brilliant way to join a new organization. So I spent my first year and a half as a chief of staff um, and had like the fire hose of financial services sprayed at my face. Um, when I joined, we were having a discussion about variable annuities, which, you know, the acronym is VA. Well, VA for me meant Veterans Affairs. And so it was just like this complete culture shock. <laughs> um, and so I did that for about a year and a half. And then a role opened up in the marketing team. And the whole time I was doing my MBA, I was like, oh, I might go back into strategic management. I might do this. I might do, and never marketing. Like marketing. I'm not creative. That's what I always would tell myself. But the numbers were very alluring. You know, how do you think about data-driven decisioning and propensity models and all these things? And so that's, I came into marketing and just was able to take on lots of different opportunities. I never said no when an opportunity came my way, whether it was, will you be willing to lead a Salesforce training team? I was like, sure. I don't, I know nothing about a CRM, but I know how to do training. So just kept taking it on. So I've been able to take on, you know, almost every discipline. And for a very traditional firm like Thrivent is um, pretty innovative in its ability to let people kind of, you know, let me, you know, jump around and really do everything from web development to MarTech's, you know, roadmaps to paid media to content marketing. And so I spent my last really nine years in marketing and the last four and a half have been in this VP role that I'm in now. And my current focus is really on paid media, um, which is really brilliant because it's it's a lot of science. It's a lot of numbers. And I love that. Um, and then Matt, you know, my passion is always content and content marketing. So get to kind of play in both of those spaces now. So that's how I got here. The knowledge areas, like obviously would have been new each job in these very disparate jobs. So you would have learned new stuff. Are there skills though that you built that were pretty much the same that carried through? I'm kind of looking for a thread. Yeah. Well, I think the power of persuasion is really important. Um, the power of relationships is really important. Um, and I think there's an orientation that I did learn in the army, which is, you know, your performance review when you're a non-commissioned officer, which I was when I left, 75% of your review is written on your team's performance and 25% was written on your performance. And so very early you learn if you're not coaching, developing, and trying to find people who are way better than you to be on your oh. team you're not going to be very successful and you're not going to advance. And so I think those are kind of the themes as why I've been successful. I have people that have, I've had the pleasure of leading that I would work for any day. They're, they're so good at what they do. And so I've always thought in whatever type of role it is, like I have to add the same amount of value and that's in, you know, translating long-term strategy into actionable things that we can, we can do and will have an impact, um, understanding kind of the, changing landscape of the regulatory environment and just trying to stay a step or two ahead of these technical experts and these, these strategy experts. Um, and that's kind of how I've been focusing. And when you left the military, did, was there, was that an easy decision? Did you decide, you know, were you thinking, oh, maybe I'll continue to become a career uh, military officer or how was yes. that decision made? Josh, I loved being in the army. I loved it. I love the hierarchy. I love knowing exactly who had the decision at any given time. Like it's brilliantly simple in some ways. Um, and I actually went to re-enlist and I went to my re-enlistment officer's office and he was on leave, PTO, we would say, and he didn't call me back. And by the time I got a new re-enlistment officer assigned to me, my husband, who 
my fiance at the time, had been involuntarily extended for two years in the army. And he, you know, he's a preschool teacher by trade. The army was not the best fit for him. Um, he, you know, he did well, obviously, but I loved it and he was ready to get out. And so our plan was maybe I would stay in and, and that kind of made the decision for us. But we have two amazing children. Um, and I think if I had stayed in, our family would look really different. So I don't definitely, I definitely don't regret getting out, but I think I would have had a lot of fun staying in as well. Oh, it's interesting. Just uh, the, your the enlistment officer being on PTO changed the uh, the trajectory, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those chance things that happen, right? And uh, just follow up question, like on the just military to kind of the uh, the private business world, like any leadership traits or other other kind of skills that you learned that you that you've kind of brought forward and you've kind of kept going in your your current career. Yeah, so definitely, um, like I said you know, prioritizing your team, managing down is really important. Um, the second is doing transitions really well. So the military, you transition from one job to another every year often. Um, so building immediate relationships in your new role. Um, they actually, the, the Harvard Business Review uh, magazine this month is about how to succeed in a new job. And I think it's a little bit of a, it, the title's a little misleading. The The, the hook is, build relationships, right? Build relationships, build relationships, get into a new role, build relationships. Um, but there's also this concept of, you know, when you come into a new job, spend as much time listening as you do asking questions. And both of those should be double the amount of time that, where you're making suggestions as you come in. And so if you think about that as an equation, you're building trust with your team, you're building trust with the folks that, um, have to perform for you. So I, I've definitely carried that forward as I've gone through my different transitions. And what do you look for in in people? I mean, you've managed a lot of different kinds of people, but yet you didn't come up in the conventional marketing, you know, architecture. So I, I wonder if you look for skills or talent or potential in people very differently than like I would. I don't, I, don't, I want to hear how you look for it is what I want, Matt. But I will, I will say, um, what I know that I can add into the probably already full bowl of talent that somebody comes with is how to present ideas really crisply, um, really complex ideas in a very simple way. I, I add value in helping with strategic presence, with being able to convince people your idea is the best idea, getting funding, figuring out where the money is. Um, those sort of strategic management things are the things that I add value for. So I look for the best possible ec technical expert in, in their field and because then I have something I can offer to them, right? And I can learn from them as well, whether that be in analytics or paid media or whatever else it might be. I want people who are really well accomplished that want to bring their career to the next level because that's what I, I think I can help with is those nuances mm. around how do, you how do you show up, how do you build the right relationships, making those connections um, I want to find people that I can add as much value for them as they can add for whatever project or team that I'm leading. Um, so that's that's the big thing. So you, you got your MBA. I think about half our guests have, half haven't. And, you know, it's a constant question, especially for our, our, our younger listeners. Like, what should you do now? Like, did you did you feel like you got value out of it? Would you uh, and would you recommend getting an MBA to say your your younger protégés and your, your team? I, this is a question every single mentee I have asks, every single one. Um, and my answer is very this, similar. So first I'll say, did I get value out of my MBA? I absolutely did. That's because I was an interrogator for 
five years. I taught interrogation. So for seven years, I did interrogation. And for four years, I did HR. So why would anyone hire me into a serious strategic management role? I needed a different um, indicator of credibility um, to get my foot in the door. And I wanted the knowledge, right? So I am a learner by trade. So I enjoyed the MBA. So I, I, it was a great move for me. If somebody wants to stay in their current role or even move it to a, a higher role in their same firm, I think they really need to look at the ROI on an MBA. If they're looking to change industries or if they're looking to jump to something new, if they're looking to go to a different organization um, where that's maybe more the norm, then it's absolutely worth it. But I, I, I've seen people get caught in the, the false um, promise of, well, once I have my MBA, then more doors will open up for me here in this organization. And I typically don't find that to be true. Once you're in, you're building a brand, you're building your credibility, you're br- building your value. An MBA isn't going to change that generally, um, unless you know there's a formalized program, which isn't, you know, those are becoming less and less common. So that's generally what I say. Well, Nicole, how do you build your your network? If you were not in other marketing jobs, like so to build it that way, um, how do you build your 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 network of people that 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 you know? Unless I mean, Thrive is a big place, so a lot of people must come through. But still, yeah, but people stay at Thrive for a very long time, right? So it's a really long tenured organization. Um, I have joined the local groups, you know, the National Association for Digital Marketers the Minnesota uh, Association. And then um, there's the bigger ones like Forrester and Gartner. I was on the Forrester CMO Roundtable for a few years, and that's a great way oh. to connect. People there are maybe in a completely different category than you, but they're facing the same issues, right? Like, is it boutique or is it platform? was like the big thing in 2013. Everybody had the same question. So I think getting into these groups and adding value to them, you're going to get value back from them. Um, and then, you know, on LinkedIn, I'm not as active on the posting side, but definitely the connection with peers and and other folks that are engaging in the same sort of problem solving that I am. Those are my, those are my big ones. I think right now there's so much changing in the marketing world with AI and some of the advancements that are happening, then these regulatory changes. And then in financial services, there's additional regulatory changes that affect, you know, market by like product viability and profitability that I've spent more of my time within the category within, um, within marketing because of where we're at right now. I think there could be times where that would change, but I found a lot more value in that. Um, and I, and I realized that when I realized which meetings I was willing to skip and which ones I wasn't willing to skip. So I ended up leaving the round table, the Forrester round table, because I was like, I just can't make time for it. Well, that means that I'm not adding as much value there and I'm not getting as much value, even though it was a, it was a really great setup. They ran it really well. Um, I have no complaints about it at all. It's just where I was at and where I think I'm at now still is really focusing in on spending my time with, I'm going to say my people, right? The, the marketing people that are trying to solve similar stuff as I am right now. Oh, I had a question about learning. Um, and you kind of alluded to your, it seems like you're a bit of a lifelong learner. Now that you finished your MBA, like what, what do you do now to stay, uh, you know, stay current? Is, is it the roundtables? Where, where do you pick up your, your knowledge? Um, I, I'm really lucky right now. I think we have some really excellent agency partners, um, whether that was- Some very expensive consultants. And some, 
some very brilliant consultants um, <laughs> like Matt. And so I, over the past couple of years, I've done my learning a lot through working with partners. And so, um, and that's, that is how I think of our agency partners and our consultant partners. They're our partners. And so they're in it with us. And so um, maybe I've just been lucky, but I've also been fortunate that they've been really great partners and I've learned a lot through them. There's nothing like doing the work and learning on the job. I will also say, I say it all the time. I am ambitiously lazy. I I'm very ambitious and I'm lazy. I will absolutely learn from the mistake of somebody else. I will absolutely take what somebody else has figured out and just work on that. So because of that, I think you get more learning cycles, which is really, really fun. What do you want to know that you don't know? Oh, everything. I, <laughs> I want to know, I want to know how we're going to start to really, truly do psychographic targeting. How are we really going to understand consumer context and consumer intent um, and their feelings? I, I, that's what I really want to get at. I think there's so much in this world of AI and contextual um, and, you know, these cognitive strategies. That's where I'm really super interested right now. Cool. Do you, do you have like a, a grand vision for your career? You know, you've had the military, then the HR, now the marketing. I mean, marketing seems it's, you know, it's been quite a, quite a long stint so far, but do you see yourself ending up in marketing? Do you want to be, you know, put it all together to be a CEO one day? Like what's, what's your, your grand plan? If you could share it. I don't have a grand plan. I have a five-year plan. I always have a five-year plan. So eventually it'll be the plan, I think, because there'll be five years left. But um, I think, no, I don't even, I don't even know that I have a five-year plan. I want to stay in marketing. I think there's so much here that is on the data side. It's where I feel really confident and I feel really strong and I feel really challenged. Um. But, you know, at some point moving into a CMO role of, you know, a midsize firm or um, or maybe, you know, kind of thinking about moving into that more disruption space where, you know, organizations that we're all trying to innovate all the time. But there's so many amazing disruptors out there that are doing things faster because they can. Um, that's super interesting to me how to get more plugged in on that. But it, I think eventually to come back to an organization. I really like working in large organizations, coming back to a large organization. Um, I think I would love to be a CMO. I don't know that CEO speaks to me, but um, I think I would really enjoy a CMO role at some point. Have you ever been fired? No, but you're lucky. Yeah. The closest I've come is we mutually agreed it wasn't a good fit. Oh, in advertising, that means getting fired. Yeah. Oh, no. This was, this was, <laughs> That's good to know. No, this was um, this was a role where it required so much attention to detail, and my and and the the leader just needed to be abreast of every single detail. And from my perspective, I was like, well, then it feels like this is your job, right? Like this doesn't feel like I'm adding any value to you at all. And we we came to an agreement that no, I wasn't, and so. I left and they didn't refill my role. This person just kept doing this very detailed work. This was a, a vice president just did, you know, the super de And I was like, okay, that felt fine. Um, but no, I've never, I've never been fired. Well, what, what's your feeling about staying versus leaving? Cause you know, obviously that's a, that's a moment, obviously that's a moment where 
it was a bad fit, so it was clear to not continue. But some people ask us about, about tenure, like the old thing was like two years, and then it was like four years, and then it was never moved, then it was always moved. I don't know, do you have any thoughts or advice for folks on how do you know when you should leave versus stay? I say leave if you feel, maybe two things come to mind. If you don't feel like you have anything else to learn, I'm not sure why you're doing the job, right? Because you're going to, you're going to be boarding your, you're, you're, it's not going to be great work. And the other thing is if you're presented an opportunity that feels scary, but you also have that feeling in your tummy that like, I think this is going to be really exciting. You should do it. Um, and I, one thing I, I have done is when I've come into new roles and I felt like I didn't see a lot of learning in this in this role, but enough that it was an interesting job. I was very upfront with whoever I was working for. And I said, I, I, I think this is probably a 12 to 18 month thing. There's a lot of learning cycles I'm going to get in. Um, but I want to be clear with you that in that time frame, I, I might be looking for something else and I'd look for your advocacy then. And I started our relationship that way because especially a long tenured organization, which I think my first few years at Thrivent, every year I was changing jobs. That wasn't that common. Um, so I think just setting that out in the beginning to say, I'm going to add as much value as I can in the next 12 to 18 months. And then we'll, like pre- preceding it, I want you to be my, I want you to be my sponsor. I want you to help me to get to that next thing and not talking about the next level, but the next learning cycles, those next, that next challenge. That's been pretty well received. Great. That's a great piece of advice. Like just because people have those conversations like at the end, right? At, on their way out, as opposed to rarely you hear that in the beginning. Like, hey, this is my expectation. If not, I'm I'm going. Now it's time for thank you notes, where we ask a guest to talk about somebody they would like to thank, whether it was somebody that opened a door or gave them a piece of indelible advice. Nicole, who would you like to thank? First of all, I want to thank you for asking the question because here's a secret about me. Here's something I'm not super proud of. I've never sent a thank you thank you note in my life. And I've been married. I've had two kids. I had baby showers. I am so bad at it that I had to call everyone who came to my wedding and said, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your generosity because I'm that bad at sending thank you notes. Never once. Are you going to do it today? Am I going to send it? I'll tell them to listen to the podcast. Perfect. You could thank everyone you've never written a note to. <laughs> thank you all. My family. Thank you, thank you, no. It'll be an Oscar speech, right? Um but this, I love this. I love this question because there are a lot of people I'm thankful for. And, and the person that came to mind immediately when you asked Matt is a man named Mike Barber. And we called him Chief Barber because in the army, he was our chief warrant officer. And he taught us um, the new interrogators coming into the unit, how to do our jobs. But what he taught me were three things. So first is a question. And the question he taught me to always ask is, when was the last time you knew that information to be true? And it's a great question. I can ask it of myself when I'm reacting either really positively or really negatively to a new idea. When was the last time I knew the information to be true that's making me feel this way? You can ask it to your kids. If they say, I don't like Brussels sprouts, you can say, well, when was the last time you knew that information to be true? Because you haven't tried it recently. So it's just this brilliant question to help, um, help us keep our information fresh because it does get stale if you're not focusing on it. So that's a question he taught me to ask that I use all the time and I'm really grateful for. Um, the second is perspective. So we wrote a lot of interrogation sounds really sexy. It's not, it's a lot of writing reports. Um, like most 
things. And so we wrote a lot of reports. And when you're writing a report and you say, you know, breach the third door on the right, that's not helpful if you don't know which direction they're coming down the corridor in, right? You have to use cardinal directions. And he would pound that into our head and he would take reports and give them to random people and say, could you follow this report? Can you know exactly what's happening? And I think the same thing applies now when you write a deck or a pitch or anything, you have to, you have to write it knowing that the person reading it has none of the same context that you have, um, potentially. And so this idea of perspective and keeping the perspective of somebody who's not walked in your shoes at the forefront, um, really helps with communication. So that's something else that Mike taught me. And the last thing I would say is, um, he gave me the sense of freedom to really love the people that I work with. So he would joke and say, Cole, I went by Cole back then, Cole Guile, um, which is my maiden name. I love you like a sister. But he started with like, I love you like a niece. I love you like a cousin. And then eventually it was, I love you like a sister. I love you like a daughter. And it kept getting closer and closer and you could tell. And he would say it jokingly, but you could tell there was true affection in his voice. And in the army, you have that, that bond and I get that. But that has carried with me. I'm not afraid to love the people that I work with. I'm not afraid to really have genuine feelings and care for these people. These are my friends. This is my family. Um, and that doesn't go away when you leave a, an organization or when they leave an organization. And I think because of that genuine care, it's reciprocated. And it just makes an amazing workplace that doesn't have those sharp elbows, right? You can support each other. I can say I'm ambitious and not have that be viewed as um, a negative or a takeaway or in competition because they know that I genuinely care about them as people. So that was a bit of freedom that I feel like he provided to me. So I'm, I, I think about Mike all the time. I've never written him a thank you note, though. Wow. Well, this, is a, you, this is a good one. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, he's great. Okay, so now it's time for our, our top picks. And this is where we share a book, a podcast, a life hack, anything that we think our, our listeners would find useful. So Nicole, maybe we'll start with you. Do you have a, a pick for us? I have, I have two, if that's okay. So I have one that I've already recommended to one other person and I haven't actually read the book yet, but I'm so excited about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention it now. I was chatting with somebody last week about my career and he recommended this book to me. It's called Range. Um, and I'm, I need to, I need to find the, the author. Um, but it's, the subtext is why generalists, um, triumph in a world of specialists. And it was very affirming to me as somebody who has had very generalist experience and kind of come into my specialty later in life. Um, and I read, an, I read an interview with the author and it's, it's basically, you know, some people know exactly what they want to do and they can, they can specialize in it and others of us have to do a lot of things to figure out what we want to do, but then we're really well suited maybe when we pick what we want to do. So I'm really enamored with this premise. Um, so I will say the book is called Range. Um, and then the other thing that I read all the time and I was reading it this morning is the magazine Nautilus. So I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's just this really, it's connected science is, is the name of the magazine. It's beautiful. Like it's a beautiful publication. It's really fun to hold and to read and look at. But they cover everything from art to food, oceanography, linguistics, technology. Um, it's really well written. It's just really beautiful. And it's just um, interesting to, to read really smart people talking about things. Well, nice, nice picks. I'll have to check these out. Uh, Matt, you got anything for us? 
Yeah, you know, I've been, maybe because I'm lonely, I've been joining a lot of these like Slack groups of different sorts and using them in different ways too. So my my favorite one, which maybe people have seen me publicize, is my buddy David Berkowitz started Serial Marketers. And Serial Marketers are fairly experienced marketers, a lot independent from a lot of different range, a lot of demand gen side um, folks, uh, but a mix of other kinds of people who kind of come together and there's a newsletter and all this kind of stuff and you can join premium if you want, but there's a Slack community and the Slack community, he's been putting on little talks and little salons and it just, it's this, and then there's one, you know, there's other ones I've joined for content. So Serial Marketers um, is online or send me, I can send the link, um, but it's, um, I'm encouraging people to try these communities. Some you won't participate in, but some might hit the right nerve and you'll use them when you're looking for people or questions or talent or you got a question you can't ask anyone, you ask the group. Um, so I'm finding it really, really valuable. Great. Yeah, no, I, I'm a member of Serial Marketers. There's some, some nice stuff that's shared there. And they seem to be pretty open with each other, right? Like people ask, like, hey, I need a whatever, a deck on this and someone will give Yeah, it it's them. really humble. You know, people just ask questions and people, like Nicole said earlier, you 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 give and you get back. Yes. Uh, so my pick, and I know it's usually books, but this time it's a podcast. And it may, I'm not sure if someone on this podcast recommended it, but I, I, uh, a friend recently reminded me of it and I started going deeper into it. Uh, it's called Acquired. It's a, And it's like a long form podcast and it's basically business stories or like these two guys who are like venture capital guys they um, interview founders and, and different people. Um, and some of them are like an hour and a half long, two hours long, but they really do the work, like the homework and research on the industry and the story. So you get a lot of like facts and information as, uh, as opposed to just the, the conversation. Um, so the one I listened to just yesterday and I sent it to all my team members to listen to, it was a interview with Michael Ovitz, the, you know, the famous talent agent, uh, talent agent who ran uh, CAA. And it's like stories of like how he, uh, discovered, or he helped Michael Crichton turn Jurassic Park from a book to a movie. And, and you know, it's, there's a lot of interesting business stories, but the takeaways like are universal. There are a lot of like universal stories that you can be like, okay, this is how you do client relationship. This is how you do innovation. This is how you do X, Y, Z. So, um, I, I haven't been so inspired by listening to a podcast since uh, since the last episode of Rising, frankly. So um, it sounds like the second best business podcast out. Best. Yeah, I mean it's second best. Yeah, but no, I I, I recommend it. And I you don't get thrown off by the how long they are. It kind of goes it goes quickly as you start listening to it. Nicole, thanks so much for going on. We loved hearing the stories, the advice, the recommendations. The thank you note was really special. Where can people find you? Oh, thanks for having me. Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place. Um, Nicole, spell my name, my first name correctly, and it's easy to find me. Um, and thanks. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate meeting you, Josh. This was great. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Matt. Our theme music was created for us by Movers and Shakers, a really cool creative studio who use original music and dance to bring brands to life. It's such a fresh approach to telling a brand story, and their work really engages emotionally with consumers. In fact, they recently won a Webby. You can watch their videos for Match.com, Little Tykes, and others on their website, MoversShakers.co.